Hello and welcome to The Bunker, your daily need to know on news and politics with me, Andrew Harrison. Spotify. Since its launch in October 2008, the Swedish audio streaming giant has changed the way the world listens to music. No more paying to download individual tracks and then wrangling them onto your phone. We now expect music on tap wherever we are, and we expect podcasts too. Spotify is the second biggest outlet for our programs after Apple Podcasts. In fact, there's a good chance you're listening to The Bunker on Spotify right now. With over 574 million users who can choose from over 100 million songs and 5 million podcasts, you'd think that Spotify would be the textbook example of a technology colossus that's claimed the high ground and will hang on to it come what may. That, however, might not be the case. Despite the company's huge size and the eye-watering sums involved, Spotify had revenue of almost £3 billion in just three months to September. It is still, incredibly, an unproven business model. Though a price rise for subscribers and a round of cost-cutting has just put the company into profit for the first time in 18 months, Spotify's share price is still pretty much where it was when it floated back in 2018. Co-founder and chief executive Daniel Ek says the latest results prove that Spotify will become a great business. Emphasis on the future tense. And then there's the vexed question of exactly how much it pays the musicians it depends upon. Tales abound of artists being paid fractions of pennies for thousands of streams. Does a great product guarantee a business success? Can you run a massive music business when large numbers of artists actually hate you? And can Spotify even survive when its great competitor Apple Music has the minor advantage of being owned by the world's biggest company? Here to explain it all and to stream a little stream with me is music business writer and friend of the podcast, author of Leaving the Building, The Lucrative Afterlife of Music Estates and the upcoming 1999, the year the record industry lost control. It's out in March. It's the Dr. Pop of Ballymena, Eamon Ford. Hello. How are you doing, Eamon? I'm very well. I hope I get a per royally stream for everyone listening to this we podcast. Will se- we will send you a micropayment. Excellent. A nano it's all payment. I deserve. It is all you deserve. So Spotify launched at the end of the 2000s after Apple. Apple's iTunes had effectively rescued the music business from the kind of the downward spiral of illegal downloads. Yeah. Can you explain to us exactly how it became so central to the music business's recovery in the in the 2010s and in the 2020s? What you need to understand is that the moment when Spotify launched was a, kind of effectively halfway between what turned out to be a 14-year decline, mm. straight decline for the record business, impacted in part by digital, but also all through the 1990s, the CD market market was such a phenomenal growth curve that in many ways it was kind of artificial. It was yeah. it was so inflated that to take it as normal was a very dangerous thing mm. because this was not just a replacement cycle. The per unit cost was phenomenally higher. So interestingly, 1999, I wrote a book about it, was and the I'm... peak year for uh, record sales, yeah. CD sales. So you're coming off this quite unnatural bubble anyway in the 1990s and something had to give and obviously digital gave or took and the industry was not so prepared for this it hadn't made its music available digitally then you had the rise of napster and then everything grokster and everything else that came after it so there was a a direct knock-on effect so this is all the illegal download services. Yes, yeah. but also then in 2003 in America, 2004 in Europe, Apple was able to launch the iTunes Music Store. And that shifted the business model dramatically because obviously they were compe- 
competing against free. So you get everything free on Napster or Audio Galaxy or LimeWire. And they were shifting the business model from this kind of $18 CD business to a $1 per track business. So rather than buying the whole album, you could cherry pick, pick a couple of tracks, and that was it. So you suddenly went, people were buying. iTunes was a proven purchase model. And it was a brilliant model while it worked. And then it didn't work. And they didn't have anything immediately to replace it. So then Spotify was very much the child of uh, peer-to-peer. Peer-to-peer is effectively connecting a series of computers. Napster worked on that, where there wasn't a single kind of storage point where all the music was stored. You connect it If you were online and somebody in Australia was online at the same time and they had their hard drive open to share, you could kind of peer in and take music. So it was basically the consumer was also the distributor simultaneously. So Spotify was very much built on that basis. The early version of Spotify was actually drawn on peer-to-peer client software anyway. The technology wasn't in itself wrong or illegal. It was the ways and means that it was put to that were causing problems for the record industry. And Daniel Ike was very much inspired by Napster in the sense that he said, well, obviously music's free. They've made music free. This is like, this is the great revolution of digital. At that early stage for music was that the entry price is zero and it could, could potentially stay zero forever. So his thesis was that he wanted to create a service that could compete with free and be banner. Mm-hmm. So that was the the kind of foundation for Spotify. Spotify was not the first music streaming subscription service because you had Rhapsody, which had launched in the US in the early 2000s. Napster, when it went through various ownerships and after long protracted court cases, was offering something similar. But Spotify's big play was what was called freemium, which was free and premium at the same time. It's an awful ugly word, but it effectively describes the fact that Spotify is simultaneously a free service with limited access. So mm-hmm. if you listen on the free version, you can't store stuff on your phone and you get ads every number of tracks and so forth. Or premium, and that's it. You can cash everything on your phone. You have unlimited plays, unlimited repeats, unlimited skips. So their whole model was draw people in who are using these peer-to-peer things, potentially filling their hard drives with spyware or corrupted files or dodgy files or whatever, and get them into a completely licensed environment. Nothing on Spotify is unlicensed, so it's all approved by the record labels. Mm. And it's also an access model. You technically don't own anything. It's not like you bought an MP3 or a download from uh, iTunes and you own it in perpetuity. So this whole access model was about just making everything on demand. So to what extent is it built to favour the record labels? Because, you know, the labels have had their fingers burnt badly when Apple kind of rescues them, but they find they've got to do business on Apple's terms. And Apple sets the chunk that Apple will take describes how you know, the future of downloading is going to be. Yeah. And then Spotify arrives with the next the next technology, which is streaming, mm-hmm. and the labels seem to grab it with great enthusiasm. To what extent is it built for them, and to what extent is it built by them? It's not built by them, but to get Spotify off the ground, Daniel like had to get the labels on side. And it's really interesting that Spotify took off in Sweden and was developed in Sweden first because... 
by the early 2000s, Sweden had the highest per capita internet access. Mm. And also you had the rise of things like the Pirate Party. So it was like the Swedish record industry was being destroyed by piracy on a scale that the UK or the US industry wasn't. So it was like the labels were small anyway because they were outposts of the European headquarters generally in London of the major labels. So Daniel Ek was kind of coming along with this solution at a time in a market that desperately needed someone to come along with a solution. So it was these partial licenses that were being offered out just to say, let's give it a test. And obviously part of those negotiations, as was very common for all digital startups from the late 90s, was that the rights holders, in this case the labels, would get an equity stake right. in Spotify, which they all did. So that was the attraction for the labels to go, okay, you've got equity in this. So if it sells or if we IPO, you have an upside, but also you have a stake in this service that can potentially define your future. So if you look at the short term, it's actually been a very good year for Spotify. They, they added something like 10 million subscribers just at the end of last year. The stock price is up 75% from that, that trough that it hit around the, the tech slump. Yeah. And it's just turned a £198 million quarterly loss into a £30 million profit. So in the short term, you know, my kind of introduction, can Spotify survive, yeah. looks ridiculous because they seem to be on a bit of a tear at the minute. But over the longer term, when yeah. even Daniel Ek himself can't say, this is a successful business. Yeah. What is going on? Is this a business that is going to be around, say, in 10 or 15 years? I absolutely think it will be. Whether or not it is independently owned, even though you can't say it's independently owned because there are so many major investors. So maybe it gets sold. Maybe Daniel Ack has enough and goes, right, I've taken it as far as it can go. I'm going to sell it to someone else. It's a massive, massive part of the, the music industry based on IFPI figures. IFPI is the International Federation for the Phonographic Industry, which is effectively the trade body for record companies globally. So it lobbies on their behalf. It, it deals with issues of piracy. But more importantly, every year it publishes the numbers. So all those numbers that you'll see about the value of the recorded music industry yeah. come from the IFPI and its various offices around the world. Their latest figures streaming, and that's ad support and subscription streaming, is about two-thirds of the global record industry. Mm-hmm. So obviously there are some markets where physical still dominant. There's some there's bits and pieces of downloads and so forth. But across the globe, two-thirds of the business is now streaming. And within that, they don't break it out by service, but there's a research company called Media who broke down some of the numbers and they estimate that Spotify's got about a third of the streaming business. So Spotify's a third of two-thirds of the global record business. So right. it's big, but it's not the global streaming business. Bring it back to the artists. I mean, it's almost a commonplace in the music business to hear artists slagging off Spotify. We've seen artists pull their stuff off the service. Yeah. We've seen people like Beyonce and Coldplay delaying their releases. Tom York famously pulled his stuff off Spotify and then put it back on again. Yeah. So did Taylor Swift. Do artists have that option anymore to say, we don't want to work with this thing? Those arguments against Spotify were important and vociferous a few years ago, you will get occasional artists who will get a royalty statement and they'll publish it and they'll just go, this is disgusting. But the idea of anyone pulling their music from any streaming service 
and that would include things like YouTube, seems unlikely at the moment. I think a lot of artists, for better or for worse, understand the power of this in terms of reaching an audience. They will also bemoan their lack of power within that to generate what they f feel is fair revenue for the consumption of, the, of their music. But the idea of anyone pulling their music now, it would have to take something exceptional for that to happen. And whether or not there could be some kind of organized union of musicians in the same way that you saw the writer strike and the actor strike in America, in Hollywood, like really going toe to toe with the Hollywood studio system. But musicians are not organized in the way there are organizations like the Featured Artist Coalition, which lobby on behalf of artists for this. But I don't think that would happen but they will they obviously will publicly bemoan how little they get if they're at the bottom end if they're at the bottom of the food chain you will get the crumbs if you're if you're one of the top 100 streamed artists if you're bad bunny or you're coldplay or whatever you're doing very very well out of spotify well that connects to you know the one thing that lots of people do know about spotify is that the payment system is odd Yes. You might think, I'm paying £10 a month for Spotify. Yeah. And I'm doing nothing but playing Half Man, Half Biscuit the whole time. And yeah. I assume that my 10 quid is going to Nigel in Birkenhead. Yeah. Because I've only listened to his music and that's where my money's going. And that absolutely isn't what happens, is it? No. It's a pro rata system, which is very complicated and it's not unique to Spotify. So you pay £10 a month. It's gone up to 11 in the UK. But let's, say, let's keep it at 10 because it's a, a rounder number. 30% of that immediately goes to Spotify. That's their cut. So the remaining 70% is split up in lots of complex ways between record companies and music publishers. That basically, it's money goes to the songwriter and money goes to the people who actually played the music. Yes, so you, you've got two sets of rights there and they are there are different terms and they get different cuts and so forth. But under a pro rata system, they will just take a kind of, they will look at it over the month and just go, okay, who are the most streamed artists? So let's take a, an example. Let's say Bad Bunny, uh, who's one of the biggest artists on Spotify. Let's say he accounts for 2% of all streams on Spotify for that month. 2% hmm. of your £7 will be going to Bad Bunny, his record company, his publishers. Even though so I never listened to him. Even though you didn't listen to him. So this is also identifiable in radio, where there's royalties for the songwriter and the performers and collection societies for those. And if they can't, if they can't identify where music, uh, all the music that was played, it all goes into this big pot, and then they basically go, who were the biggest, who were the most played artists, and then they, they carve it up. So f on radio, for instance, let's yeah. say that let's say Coldplay, are getting 0.5% of all the radio play. Yes. The money that they can't identify, They'll get five, Coldplay point gets 0.5% of it. Yeah, because they just go, it's it's down to, and, and this will also be for public performance in like bars and cafes and all of these different things where people don't tabulate every single song that's been played. So where they, where they can't identify it, it just goes into a pot and then they just go, this is the fairest way to, to carve it up. But that, that pro rata model is changing. Right. will change with Spotify. There's been a long, long call for what they call user-centric licensing, which is what you alluded to at the start. Basically, so that my seven quid yes. all goes to Nigel and Birkenhead because they yes. only play his records. Exactly. Yes. So it's called artist-centric licensing or user-centric licensing. They have different names for it. A couple of years ago, SoundCloud started doing this. So they, right. they that was the first service to do that. So this 
is a taston of the grind to go away from this pro rata thing to this, some will say, more equitable per user-centric licensing. I want to know about the, the kind of rivalry with Apple, because it seems insane that a $30 billion company can be the underdog. Well, that's kind of what Spotify is, yeah. because Apple Music is backed by the world's biggest company, mm-hmm. which also has around it a massive industry of iPhones, Apple Watches, computers, and also huge loads of other digital services like TV and yeah. podcasts and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, when you get a new media situation, I mean, some, some listeners might be able to remember what happened with digital television, satellite TV. Yeah. Effectively, you end up with one provider that ends up eating the smaller one. Yes. Is music going to be a world where there is Pepsi and there is Coke, where the little one can survive? Or does Apple have just too much advantage and it's got its own little world of stuff that it can keep you in its own ecosystem where it can keep you listening to Apple Music on an Apple device while you watch Apple telly through your Apple TV box and you just live in a world of Apple? Yes and no. I think Apple were very late to streaming comparatively and I think that was partly because of the legacy of Steve Jobs. He always yeah. he felt that it was a ridiculous proposition, this idea of renting music. He said, our customers want to own stuff. So they were very, very slow. So they had to buy up a company called Deezy that became Beats and, in, and make turn that into what became Apple Music. So they were already trailing behind Spotify. And the one thing, the blessing and curse of Spotify is this freemium thing. Apple Music doesn't have that. You can sign up for a three-month trial or whatever, but it's the fact that you have to kind of pony up and, and pay your subscription from the off that kind of puts Apple at a slight disadvantage. Also, you have to kind of take in the viral effect. Sorry to use the word viral. But Spotify, because so many people are using Spotify, it's like over half a billion people yeah. now using Spotify. They're sharing playlists so they will go, have you heard, here's my playlist I've done, or have you heard this song? And that's almost forcing Spotify onto all of their friend network as well by kind of going, this is the service I use. Yeah. So then you would have to go and you would either have to get a bit of software that could convert it into an Apple Music playlist or you'd have to go manually type in the name or whatever. So... The bigger Spotify gets, the bigger its kind of network effect. So it, it it stays big in that way. So it's got, what, half a billion users and around half of those are paying. So it, it kind of becomes self-perpetuating in a way. And that's something that Apple Music and others don't have. And it's just, it's that whole thing about the, the big just stays big. So mm-hmm. Apple is closing on Spotify, but I think based on the, that media research, I think they said that if Spotify's got 30% of the streaming market, Apple's got about 12 or 13. So it's still got, it's still way behind, but it's growing. It's not, it's not an idle threat for Spotify. All of these things, right the way from you talking earlier about the way the CD came in and transformed the music business and actually changed the the kind of, the, the nature of talent. It sort of brought classic bands like the Beatles and the Stones back into focus in a way that they hadn't been. All of these things are stories of changes in technology. You know, the 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 the, the C D kinda makes vinyl temporarily redundant and is then replaced by the digital download, which is then replaced by streaming. And then you get strange things like the kind of the bounce in vinyl, which has become a kind of fetish object. It's nowhere near as big as people think it is, but it is it has a romance to it and younger listeners are getting into, you know, getting Taylor Swift on five different purple versions uh, of limited edition vinyl and so forth. 
do we yet know what's the next thing on the horizon that's likely to sort of change because you know looking at the you know the very idea if you told me when i was 14 that one day there would be a first i didn't know what software was but there'd be a piece of software that enabled me to play pretty much every piece of music that's ever been recorded maybe 90 percent of what's been recorded for free Mm -hmm. i would have i would have said you're out of your mind you know have we just have we arrived is there any way to improve this now Yes, I think it's going to do. It's Moore's law about storage capabilities, which is the idea that every year the ability of storage will double and the cost will have. So it's like it beca- almost to the point where digital storage becomes negligible. It's yeah. like it becomes so cheap to store terabytes, billions of terabytes of data for not much money. I think kind of the end game would be something like having on your device a chip that has 60 million songs on it. Right. Like storage at that level. At the minute, Spotify caps you out. So there'll be increased storage on your phone, but also it could get to the point where 60 million songs could be shrunk onto a chip that just sits on your phone. And then your subscription, it's there instantly, always available offline. You don't have to rely on a Wi-Fi connection. You don't have to rely on a mobile connection. It's there constantly, instantly accessible. It can be updated instantly. This is years in the future. This is is Mm. not going to happen. It probably wouldn't happen in our lifetime. But that feels like the end game because, like, at the moment, you're still relying on a mobile or Wi-Fi connection to fill up your phone. Mm. And if it comes effectively preloaded on a chip that's so small that it could hold tens of millions of songs, that feels like the future. And then your subscription basically gets you through. There's like a password area or it's locked. And then as long as your subscription renews, your phone will automatically give you access to all of that music. That feels like the end game to me. And on the shorter term, what's your bet that's like of what's likely to happen with Spotify versus Apple in the next sort of five to ten years? I think Apple will close its lead on Spotify. I don't think it will. It's not going to overtake Spotify for a long time. I don't think Apple is in a position now to try this kind of freemium model. And it feels kind of kinder to the philosophy of Apple, which is all very much, even though people disliked iTunes or whatever, Steve Jobs very much prized the idea of you pay for music, you pay for art, you pay for entertainment, whether or not that's 99 cents versus $18 or whatever, but he wanted people to pay. So that feels contradictory to the philosophy of Apple. But I think Apple's going to grow. I think Amazon is also going to grow. Amazon's going to scoop up the more casual listener. Mm. I think we will see a very slow but steady increase in pricing because there was uh, Spotify went up last month by one pound a month in the UK and it, it, it had gone up in other markets. And Spotify said that it's it, in its recent numbers, it said that that didn't have a negative effect. It, it wasn't driving away subscribers, but that's not them going to be up and at one pound a year every year. It's going to be a couple of years before they do an increase, but that will become, it'll become normalized in the same way that Netflix or Disney subscriptions, they just go, yeah. they'll send you an email every year and just go, oh, your subscription's just gone up. And you go, well, okay, right, fair. And are artists going to get paid any more under this? Well, <laughs> technically, but it depends on the terms of their contracts with the, the label or so forth. So rather than seven pounds being carved up, 
between all of the people that you listen to. So maybe mm. this user-centric thing will be more egalitarian, maybe it won't. But rather than your £7 a month being carved up between all of these rights holders, it's £7.33 is now going to be carved up. Yeah. Because uh, it's gone up to 11 Champagne all around. Well, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's going to be... There's, it's going to be an incremental increase, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't book the uh, the swimming pool builders just yet. If you're some mid level indie act, Eamon Ford, thanks for joining me to explain the weird world of Spotify. Leaving the building, the lucrative afterlife of music estates is out now, and 1999, the year the record industry lost control, is out in March. Will it be available as an audiobook on Spotify? Not with me narrating it, it won't. <laughs> Listeners, remember, the best audio entertainment is podcasts because they're free. But we're not exactly a $30 billion business and we owe our prosperity entirely to supporters like you. So if you want us to keep making independent podcasts and even listen to them on Spotify, why not support us on Patreon? You'll get early episodes without ads on them. you get mugs and T-shirts, special extras. All these things can be yours. Just Google Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out a bit more or follow the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow on your favourite streaming platform. The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Podmasters group editor Andrew Harrison. The producer was Liam Tate and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by Jim Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmasters production. 